All right, Inside Golf Podcast. My name is Andy Wack. Great show today, breaking down the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am with Brian Kirshner, who I'm sure you know by now. Before we get to the show, want to give a quick plug to the Scramble every Tuesdays and Fridays on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel. Rick and I spent a ton of time together at Tory, so we have some fun stuff to recap on there this week. Also, check out my odds checker piece on Wednesday morning. I will have round one matchups. And then on Friday night, we will have a midway report taking a look at the odds board at the halfway point. But that will be it for me at the top. Sorry for the no Sunday show this week. Just, just was a long weekend at Tory and didn't really have the time. Um, but we will get right back into it next week for Phoenix. All right, let's get to the show. All right, Brian Kirshner's here. He bribed me to get on. He was the first person ever to invite himself on my podcast. And thank God he did because it was the start of a great friendship. He's a rich mom connoisseur, purveyor of Tink's culture, flat swing truther, the most active man on Twitter, most importantly, the host of the Tap and Birdie podcast. He's just trying to grow his brand, comma, bro. I am delighted to be joined by Brian Kirshner on this wonderful Monday afternoon. How are you, buddy? Andy, that was beautiful. I mean, that was so well-spoken. Uh, I, you know, I want nothing but praise from you. So that was really great. And, you know, you are right. It happened. I totally did. I hit Harris outright. I was like, fuck it. I want to go on Andy's pod. Like, he should have me on his pod. Like, I put out picks. Like, I'm an OG listener. And I had you on. And, you know, you slept in my childhood bed in my guest room. We played a bunch of golf together. We're besties. And now you have me on for Pebble. So I could not be more excited to talk about Pebble this week. And uh, it should make for a really interesting and uh, great betting week. Yeah, you were one of, I think, one of, like, the very first listeners to the podcast. I want to say like we started talking when I mean I probably had like 100, 200, maybe 300 followers. I think you had a little bit more but still like maybe 7 or 800. So yeah, we go uh we go way back and I think the last I think we did Rocket Mortgage last. Yeah, we did R- Rocket Mortgage last. But we've talked I've been on Tap and Birdie since and we we obviously talk every day. So I'm excited to talk Pebble Beach with you, man. How do you feel? Do you want to do any Tory before we go into Pebble? How do you what do yeah, you think and, about Tory? Yeah. I mean, I think we really need to talk about how we get over placing placement bets on Luke List but not taking him out. Right? Like, how are you kind of grappling with that? Because, you know, I I tweeted it out and I think it's really interesting that Luke List modeled perfectly for anybody that made a valid mm. model last week. And he goes out and wins it. You know, we didn't get there on an outright, but we thought he was going to play well. And like, how are you kind of dealing with just placing a top 40 on? Well, I actually was going to give you props. I'm glad, glad you brought that up because I talked about him in my Sunday show and I said, he's this guy's number rating out number two in this model that I made that I back checked a hundred times and I've had a lot of success with. And he's the number two guy behind John Rom. And I checked this a hundred times. He's exactly where he should be. And I don't trust it. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to spit in the face of my model. So my exposure to him will be like a top 40 bet. But if he's 20% in DraftKings, I'm not going to play him. And I didn't play him. I played 0% of him in DraftKings. 
And I had a lot of six of sixes too, and barely made any money in DraftKings because I didn't play West or Zalatoris. I bet both of them in the finishing position market. But I want to give you a little credit because you always push back on guys like me and Rob who talk about, you know, fading the public at all cost and how DFS is a game of leverage. And, you know, there's going to be weeks sometimes where the most obvious picks win. And you always talk about how the public as a whole is getting smarter, which I agree with. You're probably right about that. And this was one of those weeks where it was like, yeah, he checked all of the boxes for a reason, right? Like it was a very good, this is a very good infomercial for Fantasy National, Luke List winning, because you couldn't look at any numbers and have him not pop out. So I hope you made a little bit more money off him than I did. Yeah, no, I, I, and you know, I brought it up on Mayo. It was like, you know, to start the season, it's like TOC, Cam Smith, like highest owned guy. Next week, Russell Henley, super high owned. And then this week we get listed. It's just like, these top guys are really performing well. And obviously at the end of the day, coming, it comes down to finding good versus bad chalk. But, you know, if you're just like, okay, I'm going to bet the top three highest owned guys and play them in DraftKings to start the season, like, you're doing pretty well. You got to have some lower owned guys in there, but it's, it was just, you know, like our friend says, it's not that easy. Like it kind of was that easy with less. And I'm a little bit surprised he wasn't on more people's outright cards because of how much sense he made and how well he modeled out for everybody. I think Lest got a little bit of the, you know, he's 36 years old and I think he's been on tour consistently for over 10 years. So I think after a certain point, people are just like, this guy can't win, you know, kind of gets like the Cameron Tringali. Russell Henley is in that category too now somehow, even though like he has win, he, he, he just feels like one of those guys that can't win. And I think Lest being 36 and being on tour for so long, he just kind of got that reputation of like, oh, he can't win. He can't make enough putts on Sunday. But you saw him. I mean, I, I didn't... I didn't really watch any shot he hit all weekend. I was following Rom the whole time, but you saw him and he putted pretty well. Like he put, he wed the field in strokes gain putting one of the days and he didn't putt perfectly on, on uh, Sunday. But you know, the main thing that he did in that, like he did, he, he's so good with his irons and he left himself a tap in. And that is the best argument that you can get for Luke Less is that on a ball strikers course, his ball striking is really going to be accentuated at a course like Torrey Pines. That isn't a putting contest, you know, so I'm happy for him. I, I, I like Luke List a lot. I'm happy to see a guy who's been grinding out there for a while and has been kind of like a, a darling in the fantasy community per se, finally get over the hump at a big tournament. Nonetheless. Yeah, no, it, and it, his reaction on 18, you know, hugging his family at the end, like that was just really great to see. And that's what, you know, the PGA Tour is all about. And like the thing that really pisses me off about it the most is that he was 80 to one. It's 10 bucks. Like sometimes we get so caught up in card construction and where you want to put your card and stuff. But at the end of the day, when you're betting guys over 60 to one, you don't need to risk that much. And it just like if he really checks that many boxes, just like. Just, just bet a little bit on it. So I'm going to get over it. I probably bet placement on a winner and no outright like five times now. So it stings a little bit, but you know, we got to move on and just learn from it really. Yeah. 18 was a really cool scene. Like it yeah. was, I don't know if the TV, did the TV broadcast do a good job of showing how dark it was? Because I kid you not, they could not have played another hole. Yeah. Like, no. Alatoris yeah. made that putt. They were doing it tomorrow yeah. morning. 
Yeah, no, no, TV, obviously they're great. So they made it seem like it wasn't that dark, but I think your your best boy, Rick, tweeted out. He's like, I can report. It's way darker than it seems like on TV right now. So I'm glad they got it in. And it would have been just very funny if they uh, had to go on Sunday with uh, how they moved the schedule around. Yeah, I was standing there with Rick while the playoff was going down. And he was like, yeah, this is... CBS is because you know he does stuff for CBS too. This is CBS's worst nightmare unfolding right before their eyes. So I'm really happy that they were able to get that in. And I really, and the last thing I want to say before we get to Pebble Beach, I really enjoyed the Saturday finish. Like it was really great to have the Sunday off because I was behind on my research. Obviously, I didn't get to put out a Sunday show, but having that Sunday to just cram in a bunch of Pebble stuff was was really nice and being able to watch football, obviously, too. Yeah, no, like for me, I'm like, you know, we're kind of in the same boat. Like, I think for the casual fan, it's like Wednesday, Saturday, like this is great. But like from a content perspective, I hated just two days to put out content, digest all content. Like, (laughs) I really didn't enjoy that. And I would like to say that if it was a regular Thursday to Sunday and we had the regular content schedule, we both would have bet list 80 to 1. I'm blaming it on the two day um, content that we had to do. And if the books don't adjust, it really doesn't make sense. But, you know, it's only once a year. So I think we can, uh, can make way with it. All right. Well, let's move on to Pebble Beach. We're back to Pro-Am, Brian. There are 156 players in the field. It's a 54-hole cut again. Remember, we didn't have it last year because of COVID. Um, so we're back to a Pro-Am. We're back to a three-course rotation. Players are each going to play around at Pebble Beach, Spyglass Hill and Monterey Peninsula. And then those who make the cut will play their final round at Pebble. We only have shot tracker at Pebble. I did not have time to do a Sunday show, as I mentioned, but I have played both Pebble and Spyglass on multiple occasions. So I do have a few takes, but I'll kick it to you first. What are, what are kind of the types of things you are looking at before we get into the odds board? You know, a lot of people are really talking up, you know, the birdie better percentage um, from short range, you know, with these wedges. So very different than last week, a longest, one of the longest courses on tour. A lot of guys are going to be hitting some long irons and that's why it's Al Torres and Liss and Ron played so well. It's kind of looking at the opposite this week. And I think that uh, a big take and something I'm looking at is that you're not going to, it's, you don't have to gain a million strokes off the tee because these people are saying that the rough really isn't that high. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's going to be more important to be out there, but like I think this might be a Kapalua kind of thing where if you're a kind of a poor driver of the ball and you're not the most accurate person in the world, you can kind of get away with it at these three courses. Winning score last three years right around 19 under. Obviously, birdie per- birdie or better percentage is going to be important. And, of course, everyone knows Pebble Beach, some of the smallest greens on tour. So, obviously, we are going to want the guys we're betting on to hit the green and not have to worry about around the green game. But, you know, if a guy has a great short game, I, I think it's definitely a pro this week. I would even go a step further. I think what you're hearing is correct. I don't think off the tee matters here at all. I mean, maybe... I want to say like, I'm trying to think 14's a driver hole. I mean, maybe 12 or 13 out of the 18 holes. There's very little benefit to hitting driver here. And on the holes where you can't, like I would have shot just as good a score at Pebble if I just left my driver at home. And the guys, the holes where you do hit driver, 
the fairways are really, really wide. And it's the same thing with Monterey and Spyglass. Very wide fairways. The rough is not penal at all. These are all second shot golf courses with small greens. So I'm not looking at off the tee at all. The one thing that I will say, like my biggest takeaway from Pebble Beach and the stats do back this up, very, very difficult to make putts. Like it's this dark green, very splotchy. It's almost darker green than we saw at Torrey. I don't know if that's because we we're up a little bit in Northern California now, but the stats bear that out too. This is consistently one of the hardest courses to putt inside 15 feet. And the one thing that you will hear all week is that these are the smallest greens on tour. So obviously you're going to see a lower greens and regulation percentage, which means there's going to be a greater emphasis on short game. And the bunkers are pretty tricky here too. It's one of the tougher courses in sand saves, but even though the greens are small, you are very often going to be approaching them with a wedge. So the plurality of approach shots come from 75 to 125 yards, which is much larger than tour average. So I, I think, you know, a lot of it too, Brian, depends on the weather. Like Pebble is pretty damn easy in calm conditions, but if the wind gets going and it's supposed to be pretty cold out there, it's supposed to be in the fifties, like it's tough. And I would say like wedge play, like POA experience on POA short game and like experience in this format, right? Like I think there's certain guys that really enjoy a pro-am and consistently play well here every year. And, and there are probably some guys that, that don't enjoy it as well. So that those, that's kind of what I was thinking at a bird's eye view. Yeah, no, I think all, all valid points, of course, obviously. Well, I was seeing on Twitter that they're going to be running at like 10.5. Like they're not, they're difficult, not because they're super fast. It's not no. like putting on. So these are a bit slower greens. They're just a little bit tougher to read. And do you think we see so even with the green small, do you think we see some more three putts this week? Or do, do you think these par putts, three, four feet, they're not going to be gimmies? Yeah, I think we'll see more three putts just because people are going to miss more five footers. Yeah. So I think actually looking at it, there have been more three putts at this course than average, despite these greens being 3,000 square feet. And I think that's because you're going to see guys miss some short putts, which of course is going to be super tilting on shot tracker. But we got that at last week at Torrey Pines too. Like you saw at Torrey Pines last week, like there were really no gimmies. And that's just kind of the nature of POA. So yeah, I think that's kind of it for me. I I, I have more takes because I didn't do a Sunday show, but I'd kind of rather just get into the odds board because there are a lot of guys I want to talk about. So you ready to go? Absolutely, Andy. Okay. So here are the 30 to one and under guys on DraftKings, Brian. Patrick Cantlay, seven to one. Daniel Berger's 10 to one. Jordan Spieth is 18 to one. Zal Torres, 18 to one. Rose, 20 to one. Jason Day, 20 to one. Seamus Power, 22 to one. Cam Tringali, 25. Mav McNeely, 25. Matthew Fitzpatrick, 28. And then on DraftKings, at least, there's this big drop off before you get to the guys at 40. Who in this range are you going to, Brian? And why is it Matt McNeely? You know, you know, square play of the week. I always, you know, I always take the most obvious side. Like, I think if you like, like, ask most people that bet golf three weeks ago, who do you like at Pebble? They would probably say Matt McNeely. I'm going to be betting him. I got a 28 to one on him. I think that's a valid number. People that thought they would get a 35 to 40 were just absolutely ridiculous. The books aren't that stupid. Top five here, top 
top five here last two years um, played really has been just playing well tee to green. And I just think that the way that he plays on these small greens and obviously is from the area, you know, hometown narrative. I'm not, that's not the best reason to back somebody, but I just think like the fact that he has shown that he can excel here before and he always plays well in California. And like we talked about, these greens are kind of, you got to have some experience with them. And he's certainly more than anybody in the field has experience on these greens. You know, he's due for a win. He's trending for a win. He's one of those guys that hasn't won. It would make sense. He's going to win at Pebble. Will it be that easy? I don't know. I will be betting him a 28 to one though. Okay. I mean, I think you will not be alone on that. I have no real take on Matt McNeely. Um, I'm not going to play him, but I get it. I get, and I get you can make the argument that just like Luke List and Zalatoris last week, when everything makes sense, like don't overthink it, just do it. Forget about the number, forget about the ownership. But unfortunately, that's never how I have bet or played DraftKings. So, you know, if a 25 to one Mav beats me, so be it. And I will be, I will be cheering for the uh, community win on that one. I am going back to a guy instead, Brian, that, I mean, I have, I have been on, I've been riding all year. Um, This is, this is where, this is where the rubber meets the road for, for me and Justin Rose's relationship, Brian. We all know I was betting Justin Rose before it was cool to bet Justin Rose. You are the Justin Rose hipster, 100%. Now everyone's on him. It's like, look at Andy. He was on him the last two weeks. So you are the Justin Rose hipster, 1,000%. So I saw something in the numbers that led me to believe that he was really not as far off as people thought he was. Now, I, I've said that about Gary Woodland as well. So I, I'm not saying this is always a slam dunk. But, you know, last week, he gave it a real run. He had to make birdie on 18 to get into the playoff. Um, and he dunked it in the water. But that was a good pick, man. And now we have a situation where the odds have been slashed in half. I imagine I will be welcoming many other others to Rose Island this week. I assume it's going to get crowded my beachfront property is still intact, but you know, it feels Gooch esque to me, Brian, where I was betting Gooch when no one thought he was good. And then when he starts delivering and the odds get slashed, I hop off and that's when he wins. So I'm going to hang on with Rose this week. I was really hoping for a 30 plus probably going to settle for a 28, but he gained 5.4 on approach last week. The reason that I liked him so much at the farmers is because he had this awesome ball striking round on Sunday at the Amex. And I said, okay, this is encouraging. Maybe Rose has found something. And sure enough, he follows it up with the best ball striking week he's had in a year. So I just think he's really close. He's finished two strokes out of a playoff at the Wyndham, one stroke out of a playoff at the BMW PGA at Wentworth and two strokes out of a playoff at the farmers. So in three of his last seven starts, He's finished within two strokes of a playoff. So uh, he's really close. And I think he wins this week and I will be there for it. No, I love it. Like I like before the pot, I'm like, if Andy isn't betting Justin Rose this week, like I would absolutely go crazy because I placed the best for you the last two weeks. I was like, you cannot hop off Justin Rose now because he's getting a lot of love. You know, obviously he's played well here. I, I don't. On Fantasy National, it says AT&T National. Is that, is that this one? Has he won no. here before? That's no. not it. AT&T Pebble. A, a, type in AT&T Pebble yeah. Beach. AT&T National is, yeah. I think, the, uh, the, the, the one that is now 
Well, it was quick in loans too. But he, yeah, he's played. He's been like sixth. He's finished sixth yeah. year before, and he finished third at the 2019 U.S. Open. Yeah, he was. Well. He was the guy. And if anyone was going to take down Gary Woodland that week, it would have been Justin Rose. He was in the final pairing with him. So I mean, he obviously has familiarity with the course. He was just putting on these Poa greens and 28. I really do think it is a good number on him. He's trending. I hope you keep riding the trend to a win because you've been on him, and this is kind of where it's going to come into fruition. And I think this is definitely a better course setup for him than the past two weeks. And he still performed really well those two weeks. So I think it all makes makes all the sense in the world. Someone I want to ask you about, we were kind of talking about it before, is that, you know, Zalatoris, like he's 15 to one. Mm. Fundamentally, this would make no sense to play him. Last week and Tori couldn't be like the reasons why people like Zalatoris last week are kind of mitigated here. A lot of long irons last week, driving distance, very important. It's kind of opposite this week. So I don't think he's going to get a lot of love, but do you think it's a valid take to just be like, these courses are completely different and why he performed well last week? Like it's not going to work here. Yes. I think that's a fair take. I think Zalatoris is kind of challenging this week because I agree. I feel pretty strongly that his skill set is far better suited for longer and more difficult courses. Now, it's kind of funny because relative to other players, he's like a top 10 long iron player in the world, but he's also like a bottom 20 wedge player in the world. Um, Like he's towards the very bottom of this field over a large sample size and short iron proximity. With that being said, he gained over 12 strokes from T to green last week. Uh, He did that through three rounds. Like, you're kind of operating at a level that 95% of this field isn't even capable of reaching. So even if you make zero putts, your floor is so inherently high. Like, I mean, he made it to a playoff losing 1.3 strokes putting. I tweeted this out, but in his last two tournaments, he's beaten 306 out of 312 competitors while losing nearly three strokes putting to the field. That is, that is like some God level shit. So, I mean, in DraftKings, I'm going to be interested to see what the ownership is like. I, I I don't feel that strongly about Cantlay this week. I'm not playing Jason Day. I'm not playing Spieth. I'm not playing Matt McNeely. So if the ownership is palatable, like I, I would play Zalatoris despite the course fit because I think he's operating on a different level than everyone else right now with the ball striking. Um, it's crazy to me. I think he feels more comfortable hitting a five iron on the center of a club face than he does a three foot putt, but he legitimately could have lost five strokes putting last week and finished in the top 10. It's, it's wild. So I think where I'm at with Zalatoris, no interest in the outright number, but like if the ownership's palatable, I'll be there. And like, we kind of skipped over can't lay and burger, like from a DraftKings perspective, are you starting your lineup with those guys? So I like, I really like Cantley. Like I always like Cantley. I think that of the top guys, I mean Rom kind of also, but I think you could put Cantley on any course, any type of event, and he's going to excel. He could do it in I hard agree. conditions. He can do it in easy conditions. Like he's just so good and has so little flaws in his game. Where it's not like you put Rom on a wedge fest and you're like, I'm scared of him. Like because like you've talked about a lot. Like his it's kind of mitigated. Look. Sometimes the simplest solution makes the most sense. Cantley is amazing in California. He's been playing some excellent golf and he's going to a course where he was contending and leading for half of it last year. 
I'm having a little bit of trouble fitting him into lineups. And I think it's a lot easier to maybe just skip him and just start my lineups with Seamus and Mav or um, maybe like as Al Torres as a little bit of a leverage play. But again, I don't like betting guys eight to one. You just have to front so much money to make it worth your while if they do win. And like we've seen, it's just so hard to win an event that, you know, you just place 50 bucks on a guy to win. And like, it's just like, really? That could, my money could have been better used else there. Burger, I mean, you hit him here last year. You, you bet him outright. Do you think he can go back to back? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I didn't get to watch. Like, I... Did you see he it seemed like everyone was tweeting about him being injured last week. I didn't see any of that. Like I didn't cuz I was following other guys, but did you see like is he hurt right now cuz that's what, that's what people are saying. I I really do not know. I mean, he finished around I don't know what he like wound up finishing. I think like in the 20s. I mean, he's he fine. He finished yeah. t, he finished yeah. T20. Yeah. And it just like I mean, Berger has his courses where he plays well, and I think a lot of people were on him last year because it makes perfect sense. He's easily top three iron player in the world, and when we talk about really small greens and putting an emphasis on approach play and with these scoring clubs, I mean, that's Daniel Berger. As, like, every single week, it's going to come down to if he can putt or not. And, you know, that's a hard thing to, you know, kind of predict if one of the best ball strikers in the world is going to find his putter because I can guarantee you, and I know you know this, if he – Gains a stroke putting, like he probably wins this event. Like, I just think mm. that his ball striking has been so elite recently, and he's going to, of course, that he's won at and contended at before. It's just like, it's really a no brainer, but I can't get there at 14 to 1. And I, I would assume his ownership would be very high in DraftKings. Yeah, I like the nines so much too. And I like the high eights so much too that I'm probably leaning towards more, more balance this week. Speaking of guys I like in the nines, Let's talk about Seamus because Seamus was my first instinct and you're in on him, right? You already bet Seamus. Yeah, yeah, I bet Seamus at 30 and I was kind of saying to myself and in general, like I think that if you've bet Seamus like in the swing season the past couple weeks, like there's really no reason to hop off now, now that he's coming to a weaker field and a, like he just a strokes gain savant and he gets it done every single week. And I think playing him top 20 is like one of the safest things you could do in golf betting because he's just so consistent and he does it every week. I'm not going to hop off Seamus when he won the Barbasol. It was a shorter course, you know, he's okay on POA, but I just think that if, you've bet him like recently and you can fit him on your card. Like I think he has a way better chance of winning an event like this with maybe a, a weaker field and just the way he's been ball striking it. I, I just think this is a week that you just, I, I don't want to hop on him. I don't want to miss if he wins, you know, my biggest concern would be that, you know, winners of this event have shown recent, um, like they've shown that they could top 10 at this event before. He's never played here before. And I think that's a pretty valid reason to be scared and not want to bet him. I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to be betting Seamus Power. I got a 30 to one on him. I like him in DraftKings as well. Yeah. And he's a much better player now than he was before. I mean, he's playing so well right now, Brian, like last eight starts, seven top 25 finishes. And you, I kind of keep comparing it to Gooch and to Burns and Cam Smith to a certain extent where the numbers are so good and he just keeps knocking and knocking and the price increase is obviously what makes it challenging. But like 
getting comfortable seeing a two next to Seamus Power. But like by the numbers in this field, like Seamus Power is a 25 to one golfer right now. Um, but at the same time, like is Seamus at 25 a better bet than Matt Fitzpatrick at 40? I don't know. I, I do love this course for him. I mean, like you said, he hasn't been great here, but I, I just think he's a much better player now. And the last the last couple of times he's been on like shorter coastal positional golf courses like the RSM, the Heritage. He's been really good. He's from Ireland. So I have to imagine he's played his fair share of coastal golf in the winds. And even if the conditions are really calm, he's so good and easy scoring conditions too and makes a ton of birdies. I'm going to use him a ton in DraftKings. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad because you were, we were talking and you're like, all right, James Power. I'm like, okay, like I'm always going to, I no problem out betting him. So I'm glad you're getting some exposure to Shamey this week. I pivoted though. You want to guess who I pivoted to? So I, I, I don't know, but I, I just, I just really quickly want to touch on Cam Tringali because just like we've talked about, like we're taking off the tee, we're de-emphasizing off the tee this week. Mm-hmm. And if you just pull up Fantasy National and you go to Strokes Game Total and you go to who's lacking off the tee, Cam Tringali pops up. He's one thirteen in Strokes Game off the tee, but everything else is so good. Therefore, I think there's a case for Cam Tringali because again. We're de-emphasizing off the tee this week. It's not that important. But I think the reason why I, I don't like him and I won't be playing him is that you look at his starts. He played really well at the Zozo, played really well at Houston, played really well, well at Torrey. Those are all difficult events. I think that's where his strong suit is. But I do think there is a case to be made if we're de-emphasizing off the tee for Cam Tringali. I, I swept right by him from an outright perspective. But in DraftKings, Yes. He's expensive in DraftKings. So that means that the ownership might be low. And if the ownership is low, yeah, I could see, like I said, like I I really like the nines and I really like Justin Rose, who's right next to him. And I really like Seamus Power, who's right next to him. And I really like one other guy in the low nines as well. Um, so it's going to be tough to fit him in. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I see it with Tringali. He's a good player. He gets like his you know, he gets a lot of knock for not being able to win, but like he is, he's a good player that is very, very consistent. So yeah, he is ownership dependent for me, but I have, I have my eye on him. You're talking, are you, are you considering betting him too? No, no. I I would just kind of like just broad approach, like just very simplistic. If off the, cause I was thinking about kind of Cam Smith at um, TOC where Mm. Cam Smith, what's his weakness driving. He's going to a wide open golf course. He goes on and wins because it's the emphasize. So I was just kind of thinking about it from that sense a little bit. But Andy, I know you pretty well. I'm going to say you bet Matt Fitzpatrick at like 40 to one. I'm assuming that's what you did. You didn't tell me, but I think that's what you bet. Fitzpatrick is the play. I really think Fitzpatrick is the play. Maybe I galaxy brain myself into this today. He's definitely the play in DraftKings and probably one and done too. You want to talk about forgotten elite. And I understand elite is a relative term in this field, but I saw 40 to one on him and I took it. And when Matt McNeil and Cam Tringali are 25 to one and he's 40, like that's dumb to me. And I know he's not going to pop in anyone's models unless they're using European tour data, but listen to what Fitzpatrick has done on the European tour in the last six months. T2, miscut, T20, win, T2. So he's two runner-ups and a win on the European tour in the last six months. None of those stats are are in Fantasy National. Um, and this is a good course for him. He's great in the wins. He's had success on POA. 
before in a limited sample size fifth at Riviera. You know, I think it's close between him and Sheamus, but if you're asking me Sheamus at 30 or Fitzpatrick at 40, I think Fitz is the better bet. I really do. So I'm going to use him. I'm going to, I bet him at 40. You know, I didn't expect to see if, like, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been surprised if they put him at 20. And I think he is 25 at some places, but I I liked the 40 on him. I was already high on him in DraftKings and one and done, but yeah, I'm rolling with Fitzpatrick this week. I I think he is a, I think he is a sound play. Are you out? No, I I like it. I I have no problem with it. You know, I'm I'm not going to be betting him outright, but I just think, I think it makes a lot of sense. And he was good at the U S open here. He he's played this, he's played pebble before. And you know, like we've talked about, like he doesn't play it. Like he's not going to play a million events on the PGA tour. He's obviously going to a course that he likes and thinks he can contend on. That's what all these guys do. So I think that since we haven't seen him, but he has been playing and playing well on the Euro tour, I think he might get overlooked because some of his stats, you know, they're not going to pop up in fantasy national or Rick run good or whatever stats I do. So I love it. I'm happy for you. I think it's a great number on a guy that's, you know, his OWGR is very high compared to where his odds are. Hopefully he gets busy for my fantasy team as well. Yeah, Let's just, is that, does that, is, does that, is that bias? Like, are you kind of like, you know, you want both to happen? Yeah. I mean, I think Fitzpatrick's good. I wouldn't have drafted him if I didn't think he was good. I think he's, he's picked up some distance off the tee and he won, he won on the European tour recently and, and Valderrama at this like super hard course, which was a, really good event that Rom like shot 80 at um, and he won. So yeah, I think Fitzpatrick's good. It's just 40 to one's a good number, but I think other people are going to see that 40 to one's a good number. So I'm not, not saying he's like going to be flying under the radar. I think 40 will have people's attention, but yeah, I like Fitzpatrick. Um, Let's dive into the mid tier. Let's talk about some of these guys in the mid tier. I'm not going to list all these guys, but who do you have your eye on in that kind of like 30 to 60 range? I like Cibes actually. Um, you know, I, I think again, like we talked about, just a very simplistic approach to this week. Off the tee is not that important. You pull up Fantasy National, he's 14th in sh- total strokes gained, but 122nd in um, strokes gained off the tee. First in strokes gained, short game, obviously going to be important this week. Has proven that he can putt on POA. He played well last week. I think he had a top 20 finish. He's riding some decent recent form. I bet him outright. I got a 50 to one on him. You know, I'm not someone that, you know, bets Seabaz all the time, but I just think that, you know, simplistic looking at it this week, I like that he's has been playing, you know, some guys is their first start in a while, you know, that's kind of uh, a little bit of cause for concern, but I like Seabaz this week. I'll be playing him in DraftKings. I like a 50 to one on him. And uh, yeah, I definitely like him for the mid tier. Yeah, me too. Um, he may actually make my betting card. I'm trying to figure out between three guys in this like 50 to 80 range, but his irons have really started to come around. Like he gained 3.4 on approach last week. He's gained over a stroke on approach in all three of the events that he's played this year. And I would argue that this is the best course fit for his game. Yep. Um, yeah, because he's really, he's a really, really good wedge player. And he also has a distinct advantage on courses with small greens. Uh, and low greens and regulation percentage because the short game so good too. My one concern is that this event has been very predictive with course history, and he's never played here before. And I don't think that I don't th- like Pebble's not that nuanced of a course or tough to figure out. Um, I, I just think that the pro am is such a different style 
um, that that could throw some people off guard. But I do like the fact that he played in the Pro-Am at the Amex and was fine. So I'm going to play him. I might end up betting him too. There are a couple other guys I like in here. Any of these guys like Mito, Kisner, Streelman, Mackenzie Hughes, Ryan Palmer, Lonto Griffin, like any of those guys have your attention? I mean, who are you kind of debating between? Because, I mean, Shreelman obviously has superb course history. Kisner, mm. he's playing on a short course. I mean, he's shown that he can always contend there. Um, Mito, I mean, he's been playing great, and he had a really good swing season. And, like, I, I don't know if it's this, – this might be a little early for him to get his first win. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, if we're talking about courses that fit his game perfectly, is it a shorter – um, course where off the tee is not that important. I know that he can club down and still be pretty far out there. Um, you know, I think they're all great plays and they all have valid reasons. Who are you kind of debating between with with uh, Bezenut with Sebes? Uh, like definitely not Mito. Definitely not Mito. The wrong people are picking him, and I'm not. I'm not above that. Um, I, I'm looking at. So let me ask you this: Why, like? Ryan Palmer was very popular last week, right? And he was really, really good. And now he's playing in a much weaker field. And his odds are almost the same as they were last week. Now, that is obviously because he has really good course history at Torrey and not good history at Pebble. But he keeps coming back here for some reason. He's played here 13 times. He's made the cut eight times, zero top 20s. But last week, he gained 2.7 off the tee and 2.5 on approach. And he was really good at the Sony too. Um, he was in that winning lineup that I had. So now he's got back-to-back top twenties where he's gained two point five off the tee and one point five on approach. Like he, he might be a bet for me at fifty. Like it's either him, Bazadenhout, or um, Mackenzie Hughes, who I love. I was really high on Mackenzie Hughes last week. Now you know this too because you sent this to me. His Mackenzie Hughes is last week's a little misleading because he missed the cut on the number, but he also got a bullshit two stroke penalty. So I I think the missed cuts a little misleading and I don't love that. He's missed his last three cuts here, but I do love the way that he sets up on a shorter course with small greens. And I don't think a lot of people will be using him. So I'm going to go, you know, it's going to be Hughes, Bezayden Hout or Palmer for me. I like Streelman and DraftKings. I'll eat the chalk with Streelman and DraftKings. I like Kuchar and DraftKings too. I'll eat the chalk with with Kuchar and DraftKings. But in terms of an outright, probably Hughes, Bezayden, Hout, Palmer, or the one last guy, Brian, and now we're kind of jumping into like closer to 100. But like, are we sure that Mito's better than Aaron Rye? Like, why is Aaron Rye double Mito's price? Like, of all the guys that played well last week, I'm a little surprised that Rye isn't getting more of a massive price increase. I mean, the dude played in the final group at Torrey. He gained over a stroke in all four major categories. This is a really good course for him. He's a great iron player, solid short game. For whatever reason, I don't think he'll be popular, but I'm going to play him a ton in DraftKings. He's double the odds of Mito, and he's cheaper on DraftKings. I I don't really understand that. All right, lots of lots of lots of digest here. One, <laughs> I would say that playing Ryan Palmer outright would just be zagging to for the pure sake of zagging. I think Ryan Palmer. But you know that's what I do. <laughs> I know, but like I don't think in an outright perspective that makes sense. I would think it, Ryan Palmer makes way more sense in a DraftKings sense. But I, 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 
Like, I know you don't give two shits about what I think about your outright card, but I would not put Ryan Palmer on it. Um, but I, I think I think at DraftKings, at the ownership flow, I'm sure he can make the cut and finish in the top 30, but two missed cuts in his last two times around. Um, Mito, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And then um, Rye, I think that, you know, total narrative-based, but I think that, like many people, myself was just like hated watching him in the final group like took forever had nothing to do with the two gloves like i don't give a shit but his vibe kind of just threw me off um a little bit uh but i think it's a great number on a guy that has shown that he can contend very recently and is obviously figuring out something in this game he's won in europe twice uh the broadcasters are wrong it was only twice but i think aaron rye what can you get 100 to one on him what what number 80 80 i mean still that's a very small investment i think that's a way better if you could fit two guys instead of betting ryan palmer or even Sebes, who i mean i like i bet outright I, I mean i don't think he's gonna win but I, I i just think that would be a better play as long as you don't play, bet ryan palmer on your outright card and this me saying this probably makes you want to play it even more <laughs> no, I, I I I hear what you're saying with Palmer. I'm debating these guys. We'll see. I also like Hoagie. I, I did bet Tom Hoagie. You can't you can't hop off. This is a situation you cannot hop off Tom Hoagie. Yeah, so he was 65 to one. He's 50 at a lot of places. I feel okay about the 65. I mean, Pebble Beach features this really, really high plurality of approach shots from 75 to 125. You're going to have a lot of flip wedges to a lot of small greens. And Hoagie is the number one player in the field over a large sample size with those flip wedges. So, and he's got a really, really underrated short game too. And he was, he's pretty popular last week at the farmers missed the cut. So he let some people down, but I, I like Hoagie. He's showing some flashes right now. He's got two top fours in his last four starts. He's been in the mix. He was in the mix at the RSM. He's in the mix again at the MX. I think he's a good enough wedge player to like win a tournament. Um, and it's just going to come down to how many putts he can make inside 10 feet because he's not the best at that. But I think he has such a leg up because of how good his wedges are. So I'm going to play him. I'm going to bet him. Kind of moving down a little bit more, Brian. So you are... Wait, I, got- I, want, I, I want to agree with you on Hoagie because I think that the Amex and Sony are way more indicative of success here than the Farmers. And I think that in a weird way, you kind of mix... Sony, which is a shorter positional golf course, heavy emphasis on approach play. And then next week at the Amex, you have the three course rotation with the Pro-Am. He played well. He played better at the Amex, but he played decent at both. So I think that Hoagie makes a lot of sense this week. I think it's a great play. Are you betting him? I mean, I don't, again, I, 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 everything's last week with no list. It threw me off. I, I don't know how to fucking structure anything anymore. Uh, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'll definitely play him in draft games, maybe a top 20. I, I, I don't know, I, but I'm kind of, so, of all the guys we talked about Hoagie, I, I feel good about it. Like okay, it. so you're well. You got two guys in the twenties, or yeah. one guy twenty-five, one guy thirty, and then you're doing Bez fifty. So then, who are you going next? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that my card right now is Mav twenty-eight, Seamus thirty, Cbez fifty, and then I could definitely fit in Hoagie if I could get. I'm looking at a fifty-five right now. I could play that, and then I could play like Kadiro and fucking um, Echo. <laughs> yeah, there's some good guys. Here, I mean, what about like this 60 to 100 range? I already talked about how Rye, I really like Rye. I bet Andrew Putnam at 78 to one. 
<laughs> Why are you laughing? No, I, just, I just was not expecting Andrew Putnam to be to be on your card. He's my guy. You know, I'm an Andrew Putnam guy. I was on him at the Amex, cash me a nice top 40, and I'm going right back. He gained 3.9 in approach. Prior to that, he finished 27th at the Sony, where he gained strokes in all four major categories. Um, he hasn't been great here. I'm a little surprised he hasn't been better here, but I like the fit. He's had some nice success on POA. His biggest real weakness is off the tee. And as we've talked about, I don't think that matters here at all. So he will prominently be featured in my DraftKings lineup. I bet I'm huge fan of Putnam. But I think that for me is like the the only other guys that I would want to talk about going forward are guys like way above a hundred to one. Yeah. So, no. so what about what about you? Like are are there is there anyone else like you think we're missing no. in this no, range? I, I mean like, I mean, obviously the odds are different, but, but no, I, I don't, I, I think that's, that's definitely, I'm definitely fine in this range. I think uh, moving. I, okay. So I was thinking for a second, Brian Harmon, because he mm. always plays well on shorter courses and he's been playing well. Uh, he played well. He obviously had that blistering hot Sunday at the Amex, but I don't know. He doesn't have great course history here. And I'd rather play him on Pete Dye because he's just plays really well on Pete Dye and TBC courses. I, I don't think, I think just playing him because it's a shorter course. I don't think that's enough for me to get around to Brian Harmon, but I, I'm good in this range. Okay. Let's talk about some of the guys above 100 to one. Um, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, six guys that like I can talk about. In terms of like, I think they're really good DraftKings plays. Two bets above 100 here. I'll start off. Sahith Agala, 130 to 1, is my favorite bet on the board. Oh my God, this is such a good bet, Brian. By the way, 130 to 1 on DraftKings, 65 on FanDuel. And FanDuel is usually more lenient than DraftKings. So isn't that interesting? It makes no sense. Okay. So, you know, we have no affiliation to Andy Sportsbook. FanDuel. FanDuel's odds are great for like like zero to 50, and then they're bad for rest on. DraftKings is abysmal. Like, I literally don't know who would bet anything on DraftKings below 50 to one. The numbers are literally horrible. So, but their long shots are really good. I, I don't get it. It makes no sense. Yeah, it, that one was weird to me too. I mean, I, I think that he honestly should be closer to 65 than he should be to 130. He's like, been playing great. Yeah, he's 25th at the Farmers last week, gained 3.8 on approach, 1.7 strokes putting on POA, um, which he's very used to, I would assume, because he went to Pepperdine. This year, he's made every cut, and he's consistently getting better, 48th, 33rd, 25th. Like, all these young guys, he's actually contended and held a share of the lead on a Sunday um, this fall at Sanderson. Like, I think he can win. This is a good course for him. He's got a really good short game. I think he can dominate the par fives at Spyglass and Monterey. Excellent wedge player. Like, let's fucking go, Sahith. Let's do this, baby. No, I love it, and I'm in on it with you because I place it for you. I place it for someone else. It's like I'm not going to miss out on him, and it's really a great number for someone who's been playing really well. And I love, absolutely love the the West Coast connection because we've talked about these greens are difficult, and you're going to have need to have some experience on them. And if he has them, and his ball striking has been great, I think it's an absolutely perfect uh, mix. So. Then the guy I like bomb territory. I really don't bet a lot of bombs because like I've talked about, I'm just honest with myself. Like I'm probably just not going to hit an outright, like at 150 to one, like that's just kind of hard to do. It's hard enough mm. to hit one, like in the range that they hit all the time, but I will be betting 
Satoshi Kadara, one of my best boys. Love him. His best putting surface actually is Poa. He's one at the RBC, another short positional iron play golf course. So I really like that. And he played well at the Sony, 12th place at the Sony, gained five strokes tee to green. And he's a great wedge player. He plays really well with his wedges and he's not super long off the tee. So I think that this is just a really good spot for him. I mean, you could get it. I'll, I'll bet him out, right? Just because of Luke list and because I'm scared of betting a guy placement, but I definitely like him at DraftKings. I definitely like him top 20, top 40. Um, so I, he's one of my favorite bombs, but I know you have a personal connection with him, and like List last week, he's popping. If you make a model and you put the right things in it, Echo, Austin Eckroat is popping. Do you think that is valid, given you that you know him personally and he's your best friend? Yeah, you bet your ass I'm on Eckroat at 301. Eckroat is so fucking good at golf, Brian. Like, not just for my intel at his home course in Oklahoma. Um, There's probably, like, first-time listeners that don't get what I'm talking about. My best friend is from Oklahoma. Um, he belongs to a golf course called Oak Tree National. Shout out Jack Sullivan. And that is the course that Matthew Wolf plays at. Um, and that is the course that Austin Eckro plays at. That's the course that both of those guys practice at. And we've had this running joke where all of the members at Oak Tree are like, Eckroat's better than Wolf. Like Eckroat is the real fucking deal. Whenever they play, Eckroat like crush. There's like this story about I think him, Hovland, and Wolf played a cash game together, and Eckroat shot like 62 and kicked both of their asses. So I listen. Like I, I'm I I'm not gonna say it's gonna happen this week. I'm not saying he's better than Matthew Wolf. Like Matthew Wolf won on him like his first start on the PGA Tour. But I think he's very good. And I think that's the type of thing that obviously books don't know yet. But you look at what he's already done on the PGA Tour. He missed a cut last week in his first start of the year. But he gained over a stroke on approach and off the tee. And, and that's encouraging to me because he got into that tournament at the very last minute. And he's better on shorter courses anyway. So that was always going to be a tough spot for him. But over the the 17 rounds that we have on him of the PGA Tour data, and this is not including a 12th at the Mayakoba that he had in like his fourth start ever. Awesome wedge player, hits a ton of greens in regulation, makes a lot of birdies, really good on short courses. Um, And I think what also, Brian, sets him apart from some of the newer guys, he actually played in the 2019 US Open at Pebble Beach as like a 17-year-old. He missed the cut, but like barely, I think he missed a cut on the number and he gained a stroke ball striking here. He just couldn't buy a putt. And he was 17. Like I said, like Wolf won really early in his career and people think this guy could be just as good as Wolf. So let's do this. Like I'm super excited for him. It may not come to fruition this week, but I, I think Eckroad's going to be really, really, really good. No, I love it. I'm in on it. Um, let what are I mean, I know we're probably just get I mean, I know you bet him outright, but I think a top 40, top 20 mm. on him, I think there's some really good value. And I'm I'm playing a lot of lineups, you know, where I'm looking at kind of things right now, Kadira, Echo, Seamus, Cantley, that's leaving with the seven K flat. You know, if I could kind of get a guy in there, I'm definitely gonna be in on Echo this week. And like like all the things you talked about, like if you make him out of this week and you put the right things in it, he's going to pop in it. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. And I, I'm, I'm in on it. So let's see uh top 40. I think they're out. I, I think Are it's they? a great bet. I, I know it will be on your card, right? Oh yeah. 
Oh, like yeah. Echo Top 40, that is like the um that is the so, Andy bet. So are you are you done with Mega Whale play bombs? No, you, uh, no, okay. So he's plus you, 170 top 40. That is the Andy Lack bet. Austin Ack wrote top 40 plus 170. That is your bet. That is that is you, Andy. FanDuel or DraftKings? DraftKings. Okay, I think the FanDuel number will be a little bit better. Yeah, so I don't wait, know if those are I don't know if those are out yet, but yeah, yeah, we, we'll see. yeah so we'll see when the FanDuel comes out because FanDuel's top 40s are way better than DraftKings. So are you done with mega whale play bombs? No, absolute max play whale bomb this week. Seamus and Mav top 20. You get a plus 100 on Mav top 20, plus 150 on Seamus top 20. Those are max play whale bombs. I'm throwing 250 on each. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm like not, this isn't a bit. Like, I, I, I love those plays. Like, I'm, I'm investing heavy into those two top 20 because Mav mega chalk, I don't know if he's going to win, but I really think there's no way he does not finish in the top 20. <laughs> love how you said this is not a bit um are, okay you're you are you parlaying them together no I, what, what, no i'm not parlaying them so, i'm just throwing 250 on each so which is the which is the mega whale or it's just like a two-parter no, they're both they're both, both max play okay. whale bombs map okay. mcneely plus 120 seamus plower they know they know because i tweeted it out i said just bet seamus power top 20 every week and retirees plus 100 i can get a better number on that not mm-hmm. everything's out yet but 250 on both of those not a bit not a bit not for content Okay. Well, any other guys, there's one or two more DraftKings guys I can give you that I think are really good. Brant Snedeker is really underpriced this week. Now that might make him chalky, but he should get that bump that Kevin Streelman is getting that Jason Day is getting based on course history. Like he's won here twice and he did not get that bump. Like he's a hundred to one and $7,400. I don't know if that's because he missed a cut last week and let a lot of people down, but for him to be 7,600 at Torrey in that field and then 7,400 at Pebble in this field, like that is dumb. So unless the ownership gets crazy, you should play Snedeker at 7,400. And then you know I'm going back to uh, to Hubbard. He's the best DraftKings play under 7K, excluding Ekrot. Like this happened last week with List where he was at the very top of my model and I kept checking it and I was like, no, God damn it. List is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Hubbard's like really high for me this week, like concerningly high. And I think he's right where he's supposed to be. He's a great short iron player, great Poe putter, elite, elite short game, gets up and down from everywhere. So I'm going to have him everywhere. He can be found as high as 350 to one as well. No, you, you rounded out my DraftKings lineup perfectly. So this is, this is my DraftKings lineup because I needed a guy in that okay. range. So I'm going Cantley. Power, Cebes, Ekrot, Kadira, Hubbard. That is my fan. That is my single entry this week. How much money are you leaving on the table? Three hundred dollars on the table, which I'm fine with leaving. Like that's, I, that's I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, like I like I, that I'm. Lot. I'm very happy with that lineup. I'm depositing a lot of money to DraftKings this week. That's my single entry. Like not, not even a question. I really like that. And I was literally going to say, I kind of need a guy like seven K and below. And I think Hubbard, if he models out well, and he's been playing decent, he was fine last week. Then I think that that works certainly. So yeah, I'm, thank, thank you, Andy. We're going to win much, all the money this week. How, how much is Kadira on DraftKings? He's 6,900, Ekro 68. I was going to say, so we don't get duped. I could probably go up from, I think Sahith 72. So I could just sub Sahith for Kadira and make it work. 
Yeah, I think that works. Like, the, totally. Oh, and we were going to have our... Well, here's the issue. We were going to have our, our head-to-head on Ekro versus Kadira, but now yeah, it's... Yeah, that's like fine. I, I, like, I'm high on Ekro, but like, I'm, I'm fine with that with that bet between us. I think that, that's a valid bet. I, I, I'm down to, to wager some money on that. Okay. Um, anyone else you want to mention before uh, we get into anything else that you want to talk about before we No, I think I, I think my my low price guys are Kadirak Road and, and Hubbard. I, I like all them. So last thing I would say, do you think that there's any validity to either a favorite or a massive bomb has won this event? Does that give you a little are you a little squeamish betting a guy fifty to one or do you think that's just completely irrelevant? Nah, I, I, I like like the mid tier this week. Like even in DraftKings I was talking about how much I like the low nines and the eights. This is like it's not a putting contest, really. I mean, it kind of is. It's not as much of a putting contest as the Amex. There's just this weird element with the Pro-Am. So if you want to say this is a tournament with more variance and it caters to more long shots winning, like for sure, Pebble is a course that anyone in this field can compete at. So yeah, I would say that if you want to take a similar approach where you know, you're betting a bunch of long shots here, um, I have no problem with that. I'm taking some shots with some super long shots, but I've also got some bets I feel really good about in that like 30 to 100 range as well. You know, I think what's, what's really interesting is that last year, the leaderboard, it was like literally like just the four like kind of best plays. It was Cantley, Spieth, Mav, and Berger. And it's like those guys are all below basically like 25 to one this year. It's just like, and last year, you know, you have one less course in the rotation. You don't have a pro-am, you know, that takes some variables out of it. But I just think that was very interesting that it was just like all those guys you can make a very valid case for again this year. They're all very like have short odds and they were one, two, three, four last year. So, you know, maybe sometimes the most obvious uh, makes sense. I put it up as you were just talking right now. So last 10 years, so Nick Taylor won at 160 to one. Von Taylor won at 300 to one. There's one more. Von Taylor. Oh, Ted Potter. Ted Potter won at 500 to one. But so seven out of the last 10 years, it's been someone under 30 to one. But the three years where it hasn't been someone under 30 to one, it's been someone over 150 to one. Yeah. But there's been like Berger, 14 to 1, Phil, 25 to 1, Jordan Spieth, 9 to 1, Snedeker, 25 to 1, Jimmy Walker, 28 to 1, Snedeker, 14 to 1, Phil again, 25 to 1. Yeah. So, you know, it, you could go either way with it. Love it. I'm, I'm glad we're hitting the winner. You're going back to back at Pebble, Honda. All right. You, what do you want to close with? Football? Like, yeah, let's, uh, talk, let's talk Super Bowl. Let's talk Super Bowl. Do you have an early lean? I mean, Andy, like, I know you pretty well. I know your football picks. Like, my my gut would say that you're taking the Rams. Like, I think you like the Rams. Like, I think mm. you are – Rams are bust side. So, my thing about the Super Bowl is the past two years, I've bet heavily on the under because it's the fucking Super Bowl and everyone and their mothers wants to bet the over and it's two usually good teams, but it never pans out that way and it's always low scoring. So, I – always take the under in the Super Bowl. I'm taking it again this year. And, you know, I think the Bengals, you know, they could be, you know, kind of talked as as an over team, but I think the Rams are definitely an under team, actually. And 
I like the under uh, 49 and a half. I really like the under and I'm taking the Bengals. Like I'm just not going to bet against Joe Burrow. Like I don't care. Like I think that obviously, you know, the average Joe is just going to see what he did, but I'm way more impressed with Burrow and the Bengals win than the Rams win. They could have lost that game. If some fucking NFL guy made a fucking catch. So I'm taking the Bengals with the points. I'm taking the money line and I'm taking the under. I would wait on the under two because that's yeah. I, yeah, I, I want to bet be, that now. It's gonna it's gonna go up. Yeah, I think a lot of money will come in on the over. I, you're gonna call me classic. I don't like the side or the total in this game like at all. Um, I didn't bet a side or total in the championship <laughs> games. Like I I didn't like those either. And you know me, I take a different. I'm not. If I don't see an edge, I'm not going to do it. I have no idea what to make of the Bengals. I feel comfortable admitting this to you, Brian, because I had such a good NFL season. I bet the Bengals under six and a half wins this year. Like I, I am just so like, I am so in shock of, of what has gone on with this team. I have no idea what to make of them. I can't think what that's got to be the worst bet I've made in, in a very long time. Maybe yeah, Xander, maybe Xander six to one to win the Zozo, but yeah, yeah Bengal. I took Bengals under six and a half. That's too high. I thought it was too high. Okay. But like, the, okay. few things. One, I bet Baker to win the MVP. So that was definitely <laughs> two. Like what holes do the Bengals have in their game? They have an elite quarterback. They have a great running back. They have three great receivers. They have a good defense. Like what, where can you be like, ah, I don't know if they're really that good. Like, and that's why it's like, oh, the Rams are the more complete team. They have so many people. It's like, where is the fault of the Bengals game? Like they just have, a, like they're, they have no holes. Like they're just very good. And I think the Bengals beating the Chiefs makes my Bills look so bad. It, it makes them look so bad because the Bills couldn't get a stop for their life. And it was like, oh, wait, uh, a team that can actually shut down the Kansas City Chiefs offense? Yeah, the Bills did it. And the Bills didn't do it. And the Bengals did it, you know, kind of easily towards the end. So I, I'm all over the Bengals. I, I really don't care. So come on, you've got to be on the Rams. You can't be with Joey Square on the Bengals. Well, going into the year, the reason why I was low on the Bengals was I thought their weakness was their offensive line. Like, I didn't think they were going to be able to protect Joe Burrow. Yeah. I thought Joe Burrow was going to get hurt because the offensive line wasn't very good. And the offensive line, ha like, I wouldn't call it a strength of the team, but yeah. it's it's held up for the most part. So, I don't know. Is is the Bengals, like, is that the square side? Is that what people are? I, I, I just... You know, I don't. You, I think four is like kind of a lot of points. Like I, I don't feel. I don't know if I want to lay that. I think it's a fair line. Yeah. No. I. I don't know. I would just think. I'm always thinking about public perception. I would say public perception after watching those two games, people are more impressed with the Bengals, and they want to root for Joe Burrow, and they want to root for Jamar Chase, and they're like, "Fuck it, I'm riding the underdog." So I, again, I, I don't care. My first instinct: Bengals under Bengals money line like four points i'm getting four and a half like and they could easily win outright like i'll take the four points but what one thing i do want to say is that i'm so happy for odell beckham you know we, we are from new york we're giant fans like when he joined the team and they had that sunday night game against i think against the 49ers and they lost and it was obj's first game and everyone's like obj is a cancer to every team he goes to like he's not he's been unbelievable he's been so good it's been so great to watch i i don't wish harm on anyone like he he's been great and i'm glad he proved the haters wrong yeah. I mean, I think it's a good offense for him. I think a lot of the heat gets placed on Cooper cup and I think he's, yeah. it's a good role for him and it's, and it's probably the best thrower of the football that he's gotten to play with. 
um, in a while, depending on how you feel about Eli Manning towards the end of his career. But yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm probably going to have some, some props. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about it a bunch. I'm sure as, as the week goes on, maybe I'll talk about it again. Um, the week of, but yeah, I got to do some digging, Brian, you know, me, I got to talk to my people. I got to, I got to do some digging and I've been so focused on, on golf. So we'll, we'll see where the wind blows, but my early lean is it's not going to be a side or total for me. And I'm probably going to look to attack some of the props, which I know people hate hearing, but it's just the truth. I'm not going to force everything if I don't feel it. Um, what else, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I joked like the Venn diagram, like (laughs) there were some people that came out of the woodwork and was like, I loved you and John talking about euphoria. Shout out to those like very few people. But I, I joked about with John, the Venn diagram for people that like betting golf and watch Euphoria is already small. Like there's no way we can get away with the tanks conversation on here. Yeah, no, I mean, people don't even, I mean, we can talk about Ellie, like I would obviously say that, but I would just say just TV, like what is a better show, Sopranos or Mad Men? I've never watched one episode of Mad Men. What? Okay, yeah. then we're even, then we're even. That's fine. That's fine. That's that's I have no right to be mad, but I'm not like anti madman. I just haven't gotten around to it. Like you're anti succession and euphoria. You're like, I'm not going to watch that. Fuck. No, that. I'd I, rather I watch. watch euphoria because you kind of sold me on like the cinematography. Like I love cinematography. <laughs> so like if it's shot well and like there's some tits, like I'm 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 there. Like if there's tits, drugs and good cinematography, <laughs> like, OK, fine. There's a lot so- more penises than there are tits. <laughs> Okay. I mean, that's fine. You know, we can, you know, we can work with that. Um, I'm not watching it with the significant other. So that's fine. I'm cool. I'm cool with it. So I'll, I'll, I'll check out you. No, I'm not anti Mad Men at all. In fact, it's been on my list forever. Like during the pandemic, I watched the wire. And so like Mad Men was what I was going to get to next. And I just kind of ran out of time, but Sopranos is the, I think Sopranos is the greatest show ever. Okay. Quick. What are your goals for the upcoming golf season? Personal goals. Oh, um, you're talking about playing or betting? Per, no, per, playing performance wise. Well, I've had the same goal for like two and a half years, which is get back down to a zero. And I failed both years and <laughs> I am actually going in the other direction, but I, I, I feel good about it this year. Like I kind of like, I kind of got to a point where I was like, you're a fucking idiot for thinking that you're going to get back down to a zero without practicing. So the past couple of weeks, I've spent like two extra hours on the range. I'm feeling good about the ball striking, man. Like I played on, I played on Saturday morning with Rob and Ken Nagels. And I think I hit like 13 greens and I made, I, I shot seven over par with no putts made outside five feet and, uh, four doubles. So like I'm starting to hit the ball really, really well, um, again, and starting to have some confidence off the tee, being able to work it both ways. Again, I just got to figure out the putting, but so, so T to green, you're feeling good about the game. You just got to work on the flat stick and just, just hold some more putts. Yeah. I think like what is always, I have been like, my swing has stayed the same since I was 12 years old. And I've always, I've gone to so many, like, golf academies and stuff that I really like understand the fundamentals of the swing. My swing hasn't changed, but what I have lost from when I was really good in high school and as a junior was the touch and the feel around the greens. Like that's, 
that's what goes for me. Like now I hit the ball longer than I did. So I hypothetically should be better than I was at a, as a junior. But the only difference is when I was a junior and I was, I was shooting like under par, it was because I was so good around the green and so good putting. And now I'm not very good at either of those things. No, I, I just think, you know, classic case, a lot of people on tour like that. If Luke List can do it, I know you can do it. You're a very talented player, Andy. So, you know, and you're on your own when you're on your home course, you know, you'll you'll be able to read those greens and play a little better. So I think it's a big season coming up for you. And I, I think you get the flat stick. What, well. what about you? Is it it's break 90? No, I, bro- I broke 90, dude. I did it. it. I shot so 86. It- so, so when I was in Vegas with my friends, like I'm kind of like, maybe like we're all kind of close but i i've played the least like i've started playing like the least um like i've been playing for the least amount of time and i said it might be unrealistic but i want to break 80 this year like i shot an 86 my best my best score two summers ago was a 94 so i went from a 94 to an 86 i know there's a lot of stroke it's harder to go that but if i could drop eight strokes one summer with the new irons you know, I think what's holding me back is my long iron game. And with this new iron set, I can hit my five iron 185. And I've never had that shot in the bag. So I just think that if, you know, I'm fine off the tee, I'm good with my, I could get high with the putter. Like I, now that I have a 180 shot in my bag and on these par fives, you know, I'm usually just hitting my six, seven iron because I'm comfortable with it. Maybe like 160. But now that I'm getting some extra distance, I think it's really going to help my game. So I'm really looking forward to hitting my five iron and my six iron and more and having a more stock 180 shot in my bag that I never felt like I had before. Yeah. And I watched that swing video that you posted a couple of weeks ago. It seemed like you have gotten a lot less flat. Yeah. That's what I'm really trying to work on and really a lot more hip, right hip rotation. Mm-hmm. And just like we, and my biggest golf advice is just slow takeaway. Like look at Sun Jam, look at Colin Morikawa. They, you don't, you take if you're on the range and you're just you're not hitting it well slow backswing keep the club low to the floor and everything just works so i'm i'm really fucking excited for this upcoming season for my golf game because i want to shoot in the 80 like i want my average round to be 88 to 92 like that is that is what i want to shoot when i go out so you know they're listening i don't want to give them bulletin board material or anything but when we do the match part two, first of all, it'll be at my home course and cause we're going to go out to Lake Placid. I told you guys we'd go out to Lake Placid and play there. I we're going to be hard to beat. No, I think we'd but, have to give them strokes. Like honestly, cause I, I mean, I told like, I think I could beat Jared straight up. Absolutely. And like, you're obviously better than John. So like, yeah, I, I think we'd have to give them two strokes. Like, uh, Hmm. Okay. We'll see. We'll do. Listen, I'm a letter of the law guy. I believe in the USGA handicap system, Brian. I'm a by the buck guy. So we'll see how the handicaps work out and, and we'll go from there, but I'm excited. I'm excited to play uh, Beth page bunch with you. I told you one of of my goals is to break 80 at black. I feel like that's really attainable. I shot 85 there and didn't play well at all. Yeah. You missed. I mean, you, you did not. But you 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 didn't putt well. I, I don't yeah. know how else to say it. And I think that you could turn that around. I think you could definitely handle the distance of it. And um, I think it's a great course. I'm excited to play black again uh, this summer. Hopefully, I could break a hundred. Brian Kirshner, what do you got to plug this week, buddy? What's going on? What do you? Who's I'm that? Tapping birdie. 
Uh, so I'm having your best boy, Luke. That's happened, Birdie. So oh, great I love choice. him the best. He's great. And then I'm doing a sports gambling pod with Boston Capital Knights. So that'll be out. And then I'm doing a special edition TIB with Tom for the Saudi event because, like, I just I want to have Tom on the pod and I feel like it's the perfect week and the best players in the world are playing. And if we had that field on the PGA tour, we would all be very happy. So why not bet it in Saudi, even though the numbers are horrible and they kind of commit some horrible acts, but we're going to overlook that. And we're just going to bet some golf, but uh, Andy, of course, love your content. Always never miss a single episode. I'm an OG listener and you're a great friend. And uh, I really appreciate our friendship and all the content you put out. And I know everyone else does. So I, I appreciate the invite tonight for IGP. Thanks, buddy. Brian, it was a pleasure, man. We'll do it again uh, very soon. I'm going on from R- Riviera on your podcast, right? Perfect. Yep. Love it. It's perfect event for you. Um, all right, buddy. Thanks for joining me, my friend, and we'll talk soon. All right. Have a good night. That's it for the show. Want to thank Brian Kirshner one more time for joining me. You can catch me on the Scramble tomorrow morning with Rick Gaiman on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel, Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. live or on the 300 Yards to Unknown podcast feed after me and Rick recorded another podcast a couple weeks ago previewing the majors, and that should be out later this week as well. So look out for that. Look out for my odds checker articles as well, and I wish everyone the best of luck with their bets this weekend, and I will be back on this podcast feed on Sunday. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead send the back roads stop Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.